0: Welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. Uh, I am Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined, as always, by uh, one of my oldest friends, one of my dearest people in my life. It's Chris Dow. Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom. I believe it's pronounced. Oh. Announcement. Announcement. ba 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 ba.
1: You got an announcement. Did you know that for just a small bag of Hylian Rupees, our favourite hero of time, that is Link Link Linkalus, the famed protagonist from the Legend of Zelda video game franchise, could subscribe to the O3C Games Patreon. And in exchange, he'd be able to listen to bonus episodes of the show, enjoy deleted scenes and outtakes, gain access to the exclusive O3C Discord, and even watch uncut video versions of this whole season of episodes on his little Pura Pad or Sheikah Slate. Although we're yet to receive a pledge from Zelda's Protector, there's nothing stopping you at home from indulging us in this way. O3C.games slash support is the place to go for more info on both the Patreon and potentially dropping a one-off donation as a way of thanks for all that we do as well.
0: So we are back. We had a fantastic play date last week talking about... B360 and Ratcheteer. Didn't we? We did those ones. And a whole bunch of side-loaded treats as well. Usually this episode would be updating you on what we've been playing in the last week or two, but we're going to be doing things a little bit differently today because, my dear friends and dear listeners, The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, has arrived. It's arrived in our hands, it's gone straight into our Switches, even Chris, who's just not a Zelda man, has got it, He started playing it. And uh, we've decided to shelve talking about the other games that we've been playing, because no other games exist, now Tears of the Kingdom does. That's true. We're going to have a chat. We we haven't really talked about it, because we've been too busy playing it. So we're going to chat to each other about how we've been getting on, what we make of the first sort of main area, which is the Great Sky Island. And I'm going to hand it over to the Great Guy Island, that is Chris Dow, as as the non-Zelda head. How have you found it?
1: Well, the biggest praise I can give... Tears of the Kingdom, is that right now I would much rather be playing it than talking to you. Fair enough. <laughs> and this is a much bigger deal than a flippant joke that I've written in my notes, because for me, generally, I enjoy discussing and breaking down what I've been playing equally, or sometimes more so than actually sitting, pad in hand, playing a game. And like you said, like everyone knows, I'm not a Zelda diehard. To reassert my credentials for anyone that's just popping in this episode for the very first time, I beat Link's Awakening close to 25 years ago, Yeah, but I liked it. <laughs> I didn't pick up Ocarina of Time in earnest until a few years ago, and I didn't beat it. I played a lot of Hyrule Warriors on the Wii U, 3DS and Switch, because Breaking. it's not really a Zelda game. <laughs> and I did really love Breath of the Wild, but again, I didn't finish it. I played it for almost 100 hours and made very little progress. I just potted around. Loading up Tears. I was... Totally sold on the story that I've got barely any reason to care about within five minutes because I was just so blown away by the opening section and first big cutscene that kicks the whole adventure off. And in my first, I don't know, five hours I probably played it for, it's given me the same level of joy as Breath of the Wild. And that really is something that I haven't really had since Breath of the Wild. So since the launch of the Switch, I was a bit concerned pre-release that Nintendo may have shared too much in their marketing. Mm. And I thought maybe they've shown like too much of their hand, literally, because we've got a big hand now, you know, in showcasing all of Link's new powers. But all that really did in reality, I think, was get people thinking about potential uses for these tools. And in a strange way, I think having that short gestation period between whichever gameplay showcase they had, the one we talked about and dissected on the show, and it launching, it's been beneficial i think to my enjoyment at least because as i've unlocked each ability it's triggered like this latent memory in my brain of something i remember seeing or or you know a way i might not have considered using that particular ability and i'm seeing all these bits of potential efficacy like plaster all over different bits of the world it's just really really special i think one of the most impressive things this game does is it manages to strike a balance between all of the freedoms that this toolkit now facilitates while still maintaining a really good level of traversal and combat challenge. I'm shit at games, I say it all the time, but I've still died 50 times on the opening islands, and that's even with these abilities. So, you know, obviously part of that is down to my own lack of skill. But a big part of it as well is because of a combination of the game's spatial puzzle solutions rarely being strictly black and white. So it's not just glue this to this and, and you'll beat the puzzle. There's a lot of different ways to approach it and how you think about it. And the combat encounters as well have been buoyed by this ability to power up pretty much any weapon by gluing something to it, but balanced really nicely with the love it or loathe it weapon durability system, which I still think is so necessary for this game and Breath of the Wild before it, that anyone who disagrees is wrong, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's just really, really tightly considered and designed. Years and years and years ago, I got a copy of Deus Ex on the PC. I mentioned it on my list a long time ago. It got booted off in our addendum season, but it was on there. And in that game, the ability to approach a situation like with force or guile or cunning blew my mind. So a simple objective like get in the building suddenly became a big melting pot of potential in my head because I thought I can go direct, I can shoot all the guards. Maybe the commotion will get someone inside to open the door and let me in. I can snoop around the bins at the back of the place and maybe I could stack some things up and get in a window. Or I could use my pro hacking abilities to open a locked entrance remotely and then sneak in. And as that was really my first exposure to kind of immersive sims as we know them now, I felt like the sky was the limit, even if those options were essentially consistent for the entire game. Pretty much anything you do in Deus Ex is going to have one of those solutions or sometimes a few of them and you choose your own path. But the opening hours of Tears of the Kingdom feel like It's delivering on the promises made in games like that almost 25 years ago, almost for the first time, because everything I've come across has been a case of like, well, I could climb or I could ascend or I could glide or I could build or I could fight. And it's just it's a big game of verbs. Yeah. (laughs) And that's really, really exciting. Like one early section, I'll tell you about one particular kind of puzzle and, and the way I approached it. I found a little raised chunk of the map on kind of the snowy section so kind of midway through that first cluster of islands and i could see using the scope from a little way off that it had you know some enemies there it had a chest so i was like oh i want to get up there i want to find out what's going on tried to clamber up it but the walls were too icy to scale so i was like right so we're going to think laterally now how how am we going to get up to this bit because it's too high to jump and i can't climb it and everything else so my first attempt i built a makeshift ladder from trees that i'd chopped down and then scurried up the ladder But as I got to the top, I was ill-equipped weapon-wise and was just beaten down by the little guardian things. So my second attempt, I thought, okay, I won't do the ladder again. I'm going to try and build a stupid contraption using some of the fans I've picked up and some planks I've found. And that did get me high enough to then hop over to the little island. But then I was knocked straight off the ledge (laughs) because I didn't have my balance set right. And I just died from full damage because I hadn't eaten any food. And I was on like a quarter of a heart and I just hadn't noticed. So the third attempt... I ate a big hearty meal of baked mushrooms, which I produced in my makeshift campfire, which again, you can just do wherever you like. Then I remembered that I'd recently gained the ability to ascend. I'd forgotten I'd even unlocked that power. So I thought, oh, is there a bit of a, like an overhang I can use? And I found a little platform and I warped my way up and then I bashed the enemies clean off the mound using a boulder that had been glued to my axe. And then I took them out from the top whilst they were down on the floor using bomb arrows. And it was great. Like, every one of those approaches were viable and skill-dependent, but you could do them. And none of them were telegraphed in any way. Yeah. It was just, I looked and thought, these are the skills I've got, let's give it a go. And each one, to varying degrees, had a level of success. And the fact that that was just an optional encounter that probably granted me less than, like, a bundle of arrows when I finally got to the chest, it really exemplifies everything I love about this game and Breath of the Wild before it, because... The reward more than the bounty of just saying here's some consumables is just having these unique approaches vindicated time and time and time again we're like two days out from release and i've already seen clips during the rounds on twitter that have made me (laughs) full-on slap my jaw at what people are doing in this game and i'm trying not to watch them but the draw is always so strong
0: yeah that it's like i have to
1: i've got to have a look i've got to see what they're doing it's incredible
0: i haven't really played anything of Breath of the Wild since the DLC came out. And I'd forgotten just how versatile the game is, how you do approach every single encounter thinking laterally. It's unbelievably satisfying. Like you, my comparison point is the Thief games, which were essentially counterparts of the Deus Ex games. And that was the first time I'd been able to like approach things very differently, creatively and try out different things like you said it was a bit more limited because it was either stealth or combat you know but really no other games since have really done that even like stuff like Dishonored and things which were sort of iterating upon Thief it was very much like oh you go down A or B and that's how you do it like you said it was very telegraphed and Zelda's just not like that Breath of the Wild wasn't like that and it's wonderful to see Tears of the Kingdom doing the same thing but like you said with so many more options of how you can approach things like doing Great Sky Island which is like the tutorial sort of section is the equivalent of the Great Plateau from Breath of the Wild where you learn all the things and you get your main abilities before I got the Ascend ability which is the ability that allows you to just warp upwards into like the ceiling and through it (laughs) <laughs> which apparently just started as, as a like a development tool just to help them yeah. get around. And they were like, actually, this is really good fun. Let's make it a thing. And it's mad that it it's a thing. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Before I'd got that, all I'd got was my Ultra Hand ability, which is the one that allows you just to pick up stuff and then glue it to things and just make whatever you want. And then I'd also got the Fuse ability, which is the thing that allows you to fuse items to your weapons to make them into ridiculous things. Just be like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. strap this farmer's hoe to, I don't know, a treasure
1: chest. It's very funny having like a 40 foot pike, because yeah. you, you've stuck a
0: massive like halberd on another massive
1: halberd.
0: I managed to sort of muddle my way through the the sort of the physics puzzles that you need to do to get around that sort of main cluster of islands. I'd approached this one puzzle where, like, I'd just got used to the fact that I could pick up a minecart, put it on some tracks, put a fan on the back of it to then power me uphill. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> then I got to a bit where the the track was broken on one side for a section of it, and apparently the obvious solution was to use one of the big hooks that exist and hang that from just the single rail uh, yeah. and use that to power yourself up. I managed to find four minecarts and glue them all together so that the combined length of the minecart meant that it could, <laughs> it could cover the broken uh, gap distance and somehow that worked and I got through it feeling like an absolute champion and knowing yeah. that like I couldn't figure out the right way to do it because my brain just wasn't in that mode to start thinking in those ways. Anyway, I'd done all these things. I'd mucked around with a lot of them. I'd sort of gone, oh, okay, I don't know if that works. I don't know if this works. I'd sort of forgotten how to do cooking and all of this stuff, and I was sort of getting used to it. Anyway, I fell off and to a point where I couldn't climb immediately back up to where I needed to get to to get to the Ascend Shrine. So I ended up having to go around the entire thing again. Yeah. And it was remarkable how much more, even just in the hour or two I'd spent getting to where I'd got to, going back through and doing all those puzzles again, I approached them in different ways, thinking like, yeah. oh, either being like, oh yeah, I eventually found the solution so I can just like bam, bam, bam. And I was just quicker with the controls and knowing my way around the mechanics better or by going, oh, actually, here's the obvious way to do it rather than the <laughs> hard way. It was amazing just how much I'd learned and how much my brain, my plastic brain had just like adjusted already to thinking about solving puzzles in a different way. Just to then essentially to like replay in the first hour, and then getting more stuff, and then getting more stuff, and it's going to take a while before all of those options sort of feel like a checklist in my mind to think, oh, okay, I can do that here, I can do that here. Like there have been times where I'd be like, oh, I'm stuck in this cave, and then I forget that I've got the ascend ability, and they'd be like, oh no, it's fine, I'll just pop out of this cave and into the into a field. (laughs) The other thing that I'd forgotten is the survival mechanic that's in the game that I think covers a lot of things like weapon durability, cooking, hunting, crafting, all of this stuff. It's not just an option. It's not just a nice to have. You need to do it. It's essential. And I'd forgotten that from Breath of the Wild, because obviously after a point you do, you never get to the point where you're just like, yeah, this is easy in Breath of the Wild, even 120, 200 hours in when you've got everything and unlocked everything. You've always got to have one eye on the ball and thinking about those things but i've forgotten just how essential it is in the early game before you've got expendable hearts before you've got you know gear that's going to protect you from cold weather or give you certain abilities and take the harsher edges off some of the situations and it's just it's so satisfying just the pace that you have to take the game at which is a bit slower than your average everyday action rpg you do have to stop and go actually hang on a minute i'm just gonna just just make a fire here and just cook up some stuff before I do this next bit. Or actually, no, I do need to go and find some more fire peppers so that I can cook them and give myself some cold resistance for this. Yeah. Or actually, it would be useful. Like, you see animals scurrying around and you're like, oh, that's nice. And would be like, oh, yeah, you can go hunting. And it's like, yeah, but you really do need to, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's it t- quite important. it 's very important. <laughs> just take a minute, go and do that. And it means that every single aspect of the game, every single asset in the game, has a purpose has a reason for being there this goes from everything from every single arrow that you have has value every single yeah. item you find has value because you confuse it to said arrows and the versatility that you get from every single item that's interactable is extraordinary and not just every item that you can interact with because every single aspect of the world itself it's so unbelievably well designed and it has to be because of the ways that you can exploit all of the new mechanics to do whatever you want everything's got to be so specifically placed that you can't muck up the game, break the game do something you're not supposed to, all of this stuff so it feels like an incredibly safe playground to play in because you just know that that care and that attention has been put in every single pixel every single aspect of the game in a way that you know, I, I spoke about the recent Pokemon game, the Violet and Scarlet, and saying that the world all felt a bit miscellaneous. Yeah, um, yeah, there wasn't really any specifics. There wasn't any intrigue to any bits, some bits, but not like it is in a game like this where you do just go. There's something about that boulder. Yeah, I'm going to go and check it out, and you want to go and check it out, and more often than not, you're rewarded, even if you pick up a boulder. And there's not a Korok hiding underneath, which you were hoping it might be. Oh, it's a cricket. Oh, okay, (laughs) That cricket has got... It's got its own value. It's got its own value. It's got its own properties. That means actually I can cook something different with this one. It's mad. Every single thing. blowing my mind. It really highlights
1: something I was saying the other week about why I was not enjoying Sonic Frontiers Uh, um, in as much as the environmental puzzles in that game. You walk up to essentially a big button and say, can I play an environmental puzzle, please, sir? and then you do it and then it goes and that's gone now and there's now no reason to ever come back to this part of the map and with zelda you walk along you see a boulder in the distance it might be a bit of a challenge to get there it might take you kind of a bit of a time to find your way up to whatever it was you spotted but you're always rewarded in some way and because everything is so organic you can come back to that five hours later have kind of just about forgotten what it was and still enjoy that reward again. It might not be a Korok jumping out again, but it's still the fun of traversing to a place Mm. and probably still getting some mushrooms or probably still getting the ability to just grab a few more weapons because there was a little cache in the corner or something. It's never not rewarding. And considering the size of this map, it's mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. Like the island that you start on is big. It's It's bigger than than some open world game. It really is. And then when you do come off that island and you make it back to sort of terra firma and you're reminded of how big Hyrule is in the Breath of the Wild world, it just makes you think, fucking hell, there is so much above me. Yeah. And what I've just come down from is
0: maybe a hundredth of that space. Yeah. (laughs) So. And let's not forget the fact that Nintendo somehow managed to keep under wraps the fact that there is also then an underworld. (laughs) <laughs> to this map Elden as well Ring style. yeah it's just like, oh okay there's the whole map like the depths is yeah. they totally kept that under wraps because people were just so focused on the islands and the sky i've had my first trip down into the depths and it is terrifying i'm just about to i'm at the what's it called the, the chasm the, the chasm yeah I'm, yeah. I'm at
1: the, the first chasm opening ready to go spelunking it's extraordinary someone on twitter was saying people were often shocked that zelda games are consistently good Hmm. Whereas a lot of franchises will have kind of like peaks and troughs and, and some really good entries and some really bad entries and everything else. But Zelda was a series that generally has been consistently at least good to great in
0: most entries. Yeah, apart from Skyward Sword. (laughs) <laughs> which to be fair people enjoyed and also yeah, i think yeah. if if i don't know if i did say this when i was playing it because i was just so constantly livid with it but i think if you're playing the wii day in day out and this is how you're used to playing games and you're enjoying yeah. playing games using motion controls i think you're going to have a great time playing skyward sword yeah i just yeah. never never liked doing that and i do not still like doing that I
1: still <laughs> but they essentially remarked that the, the reason that things have been consistently pretty good is that a lot of the team that worked on, essentially, Zelda on the NES are still there today Mm. and still making Zelda games and still thinking back to this huge design lineage instead of saying, okay, Sonic team, uh, we're we're a different team now because everyone got sacked or everyone got put on different jobs or everyone splintered off into different places. The culture at Nintendo is such that a lot of the names that would have been in the credits of those earliest games are still doing it today. Yeah, And they've watched everything mature and they've watched the games industry you know grow around them and then every time can just be like and here's what we're going to do our own way here's our own stamp on that sort of formula
0: i mean it does put so many other games just i mean they just pale in comparison i know that i got a bit wrapped up in sonic frontiers when i was playing it (laughs) i think i I think the quality of the soundtrack papered over a lot of the cracks for me. i had a really good fun time playing sonic frontiers for 30 hours or whatever but it's a good opportunity actually to talk about Just how low-powered the Switch is.
1: Oh, my God. And
0: what an extraordinary achievement it is to get a game like this running. Because it runs so much better than Sonic Frontiers. It runs so much better than Jedi Survivor that I'm playing on the PS5. Yeah. And not only is it running better. I mean, yeah, the the frame rate is 30 frames per second. It's running at 720p on handheld or like 900p or something docked frame rate stutters a bit when you're doing some things but it doesn't impact anything it doesn't impact your enjoyment of anything and the artistry that's at work means that the game looks extraordinary at all times yeah and some of the things they've done like there are moments when you're mapping and you have to go to the lookout towers and you get catapulted up in like miles (laughs) into the sky yeah you cannot see the seams of where it's like changing the textures and the resolutions of what's below you it just feels like you are in this enormous world that is entirely existing at exactly the same time And then you see the full scope of this world and everything above it. And then you'll see just a dragon just appear out of behind a cloud in the sunset. And it's just like, this is magic. It's absolute magic.
1: We've got to reiterate as well that I've said this multiple times across the time we've been doing this podcast. The switch at this stage is 10 year old mobile phone technology. Yeah. 10 years old if you imagine what sort of devices you had then, whichever iPhone or whichever Android devices people had 10 years ago, and you imagine it trying to even look at the internet in mm.
0: 2023.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that Switch is running this game at all, like you said, as relatively smoothly as it is, mm. is unbelievable. And, you know, you can always argue that slightly smoother would be better, slightly sharper would be better, but it just doesn't detract from the experience at all.
0: In no, the but I've the thing so is, far. like... The actual gameplay, the game mechanics, is rock solid. I've had so many moments in... It's an easy comparison because, like I said, it's what I'm playing at the moment. Jedi Survivor. And I'm playing this after the two big patches that have already come out for it have come out. There are still moments where I'm, it's just glitching or it just feels a bit woolly. Or I think, oh, okay, okay I, I got trapped in this corner. Or, oh, okay, I've fallen off this bit or whatever. And it's just like making sure that you feel safe doing whatever you want in this playground. Yeah. So all of the mechanics, the, the engine has to be so rock solid. And I think the way that it just allows you to play, the limits that it puts on you in terms of like, you can't just swim forever. You can't just climb forever. It's like, yeah, you can climb pretty much anything. Just walk into it and you climb up it. And that's something where you look at something like Skyrim. You can just like jump into a corner and you'll slowly like glitch your way yeah. up the side yeah. a bit. That sort of thing. They get around that by going, well, oh, you know what, if you're going to try doing that, you can just climb let's just say you can climb but you can only climb for a bit yeah it's making those decisions those design decisions about how the mechanics work that mean that it's a very very difficult game to break in a way that is going to be detrimental to your experience yeah and to the point where like people are still finding new things to do in Breath of the Wild that are things that almost certainly the game wasn't designed specifically to do And finding mad ways of combining items and objects and powers and stuff like this to make the game do things that are absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, like you could say, oh, they're breaking the game, but they're not. Yeah. Because it's not actually breaking the game at all. It's not cheating your way to something. It's not ruining anything. If anything, just adding to the extraordinary experience that these games give you. And that is now going up exponentially with this game (laughs) because of the new creative tools it gives you. It's ridiculous. It's almost too much. Yeah, I mean, I hope
1: I don't get that kind of crippling fear of just choice. Yeah. To the point where it's like, well, because I can't decide what to do, I just won't play it. Yeah. I need to really push myself not to do
0: that because I've had a lot of fun this weekend. I started feeling that sort of pressure before I started just getting some objectives i'm getting some markers on the map yeah and then you like i've started to fall into that rhythm where it's like oh i'm sort of going to head in this direction and then oh i've spotted this so i'm just going to go via there and, and ooh, whilst i've done that i've spotted this and yeah. then all of a sudden i realize i've gone halfway in the other direction to where i thought i was going because i found some cool things and it just works and you just find stuff that you just go oh maybe i'm not supposed to be here or if i think about it like this Maybe if I just sneak up, fire a bomb arrow into those exploding things, I'll shoot that moblin out of the eye of this skull and uh, and get my treasure. I just just can't see myself wanting to play anything else for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's going to be
1: the game that every time I turn the switch on it will say five friends online and four mm. of the five are going to be playing tears of the kingdom for about three months now it was weird seeing people
0: popping up being like playing super mario odyssey what are you doing alice <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't rivaled though when animal crossing came
1: out and obviously it was locked down as well yeah there were a few times I'd turn on the switch and it would say like 12 friends online it'd be like oh there's a lot of people and Every one of the 12 was playing yeah. New Horizons. And it was half past three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. But we were all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the Switch is the greatest console of all time. I think that's undeniable at this stage. No matter what games you enjoy, they're on the Switch. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's I it. think it really is that. And I don't know what Nintendo will do next. It, this really does feel like if Breath of the Wild was the the first part of like the bookend on the shelf. Yeah. This is the other end now. Yeah. To say the Switch really cannot go any further than this. What it's doing to run this game at all, like we've said, is black magic. Yeah. So surely as kind of the unwritten swan song, the next big thing to start looking forward to is what is the Switch 2 and when is that coming? Yeah. Because it would just be great to see what the next stage is. Yeah.
0: When I played Elden Ring, the greatest game ever made I said about how it had taken and built on so much stuff that had been established in Breath of the Wild in terms of open world gaming like Tears of the Kingdom makes me realise actually just how much more is in Breath of the Wild than is in Elden Ring yeah it's a very different game it's a very very different type of game it doesn't have that need for the survival creative sort of problem solving things because it's it's doing something very different but it is insane what Nintendo have made with these games in terms of how much more they're doing. Yeah. How much better it is, how much more considered. It's gaming on a whole other level to what anybody else is doing. No matter how like photorealistic you can get graphics, no matter how high frame rates you can get things running at, no matter how many hours of cutscenes Hideo Kojima can put into something, it's nothing compared to actually what extraordinary game design can do. Yeah. Having said that, I really miss the ability to be able to summon a spirit horse like in Elden Ring. (laughs) (laughs) Be nice if my horse got there quicker. Yeah, yeah. How would you feel if there was an auto-equip feature for when your weapon breaks, that it would auto-equip the next one you have? I think that's quite sensible. I'd like that. As
1: as a quality of life thing. Mm. And even if it gave you the option to say... Do you want us to auto-pick or do you want it to honor the way you've organized them or something? So it yeah. could be kind of a fun little inventory game as well to kind of decide what is the hierarchy of weapons I'm currently keeping. Or you could turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in time. I mean, they made quite a lot of little tiny tweaks to Breath of the Wild mm. in the run-up to it getting its DLC. Yeah. So there's, there's every possibility some of these small things will, will be adapted. I don't think there'll be any, like, wide-scale changes. And inevitably, I think there will be some sort of season pass type stuff at some point because they've been making this game for what seven years so they've got to get their money's worth but within that like i don't think we're going to suddenly get new powers or anything like that i think the game is what the game is Mm. and it might be more story stuff or more shrine because that sort of stuff and on top it may also be like and here's a magic tool that makes swords break slightly less and lets you organize your inventory or something yeah so yeah we'll see but i do agree that would be a nice little addition
0: before we finish Next week we are going to do our final Playdate update where we're going to be talking about Real Steel and Recommendation Dog. they saw sort of the additional two games that came uh, for free with the release of the catalogue. And then after that we will be talking about what we've been playing And we may almost certainly just be talking about Zelda again. Uh, But I have actually been playing some other things in the last couple of weeks. I did mention I was playing Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So I'll update you, Chris, and you listeners on that in a couple of weeks' time. I may play a bit more of that. Um, It's difficult difficult to see me play anything else. The other game I have been playing on the Steam Deck is House Flipper. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, you do up houses, don't you, to sell? Yeah, you just clean houses and tidy them up and then build things, customise things. It's very, very gentle. It ticks the same sort of boxes, like the Animal Crossing DLC, the, the happy home designer stuff. And it's just really nice. It's certainly not stretching the Steam Deck in terms of graphics or performance, but it's just really nice and really gentle. So I've been playing a bit of that. So I may well update you on that in a couple of weeks' time. Have you played anything else as a little tease? Not a huge amount. I still have been
1: playing Sparrow Solitaire every day. Oh, yeah, me too. Although so. there's, there's not Bloom. that much to add about those games. You know, we've, we've covered pretty much all there is to say. I did finish Shadows of the Damned. I will do a oh, well little mini review when we get to that in a couple of weeks. But it was a decent time, and the emulator held out for the whole duration on the Steam Deck. And that was quite impressive in itself Boom. for it to be running a PlayStation 3 game. Reasonably demanding game. But yeah. That's about it. And now just Zelda, I think. So there we go.
0: That was our first impressions of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Still funny. Next week, we will be giving our thoughts on Real Steel and Recommendation Dog on the playdate, as well as a smattering of other side loaded content, catalogue games that we've bought and played. And that's going to be great. That's going to be a fantastic final celebration of those games before we then, in a few weeks' time, do our big old, big old playdate ranking. Which is going to be also fantastic. If you want to chat to us, you can do that. We're on social media at O3C Games on pretty much everything. Uh, if you want to support us, you can go to our website o3c.games/support, and you can either give us a one-off PayPal donation, or you can go to Patreon, Patreon.com/O3CGames, and you can chuck us a bunch of corok seeds, and we will give you a golden turd in return. or you can chat to us individually I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn I'm still at Chaz underscore Hodges and please do join us next week and in the meantime just enjoy Zelda do it